1: Brian
0: Karam. Hi and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host Brian Karam with us as always for our Sunday show taking a look at the events of the week is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor at large CQ Roll John Bennett. This week, there is a lot to unpack. (laughs) What hasn't there been recently? We've got the president's primetime speech this week, uh, the reaction and the current status in the Middle East after that uh, uh, speech. Meanwhile, Congress, well, they wasted an entire week on deciding they don't like Jim Jordan. And of course, there's Donald Trump's latest fiascos in court and oh, so much more. So stick around. After the break, and we'll get right into it. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and this edition of Just Ask the Press, our weekly edition of looking at the things that have gone on in the past week, we're going to start with the President's Prime Time speech. Uh, Joe Biden flew into uh, Israel, originally intending also to go to Jordan, but that uh, was canceled after a bombing of a hospital that we'll talk about briefly. So he did show up and um, Israel, and then promised to support Israel, came back to the United States. He's got a firestorm of people who are just upset with him, especially uh, Muslim voters and Arab voters in Michigan uh, who are angry at what he had to say. And in his primetime speech, he vowed to defend Egypt, but cautioned for restraint, also said that he believed in a two-state solution, and told the American people why supporting Israel and Ukraine are important. And hint behind all of it is the specter of Vladimir Putin, who is you know pulling strings in both locales. So I, I'd like to start with, uh, Michael, if you can, yeah. you sat back uh, listening to the speech. What did you think?
2: Well, I think it was his best effort to uh, channel FDR, that he came back and he said to America, we're at an inflection point. Just as FDR uh, was just before he died, he was, you know, famously to deliver a speech about the need for a United Nations and the need for us to figure out a way to end these se- senseless wars. Um, so I think that he was, you know, trying his best to be a, a global FDR-like leader. The times are different then from now, and I'm not sure whether anyone could pull that off FDR uh, uh, JFK, pick your orator. but I think it was I think it was his effort that was um, laudable. Now, what will come of it remains to be seen. and the as we say, the the schism between those who support Israel and those who think of them as an occupying you know sort of um, state that in, engages in apartheid like behavior I, I don't know what the what the answer to that will be other than a, stu- a two state solution which biden said he he supports the question is will we put our diplomatic muscle and and money where our rhetoric is
0: uh john you know you and i have heard him speak often over the last four years as he's been first on the campaign trail and now in the oval office. And he's often spoken of the fact that we're in an inflection point, but he always ends it with saying, we, we have to remember, we are the United States of America. And he always stresses United. Do you think he made a point or reached anyone on, on the other side of the aisle who doesn't like him? Uh, Cause I'll, I'll tell you, having looked at it, Michael's right. It was his attempt to be um, you know, it was his, his,
3: FDR moment. Uh but
0: do you think he reached
3: anybody? He, <clears throat> excuse me, he probably did. You know, he revisited um one of the themes of, of early in his term in uh, his 2016 campaign of democracy versus authoritarianism. He linked Hamas uh to Russia and uh, that's a that that's a strong issue for him. He's, you know, he's worked on those issues his entire career when he was in the Senate for 36 years and then uh, eight years as vice president. So, um, you know, he he's he sounds the part and looks the part when when he's on the foreign stage, he was foreign relations chairman, of course, in the Senate, uh, off and on several times over the years, depending on how the majority went in the Senate. So, he probably did reach some folks. I mean, Mitch McConnell was on. Uh, we're recording here on Sunday morning. Mitch McConnell was on several of the Sunday shows, and he says um, that that he agrees uh, with with Biden's policies so far on the on the Israeli Hamas uh, war, and he supports linking Ukraine aid and and Israel aid in, in a coming emergency spending bill. So you know, folks in the Republican Party who are more in the McConnell mold. And let's be honest, I think we're going to get into this later. Uh, I contend <laughs> this is Donald Trump's party almost through and through, but you do still have some Mitch McConnell Republicans out there. So, you know, they may not admit it uh, as, they're, as, as, as they have a lot of other gripes with Biden. Um, they might not admit it to their friends uh, when they go to church or when they go play golf or run into them at the grocery store in, in, out there in uh, not DMV America. But you know, at home they might you know admit to themselves or their wife or you know a close friend that well. I thought Biden made some good points, and and um, he he's standing by Israel. And I think that's good, and he's trying to get him more weapons, and that's good. Um, so yeah, I I think it was a strong speech. I think it was one of his better speeches. The Warsaw speech comes to mind is probably his best, and again, that's a foreign affairs speech. So there's a yeah. there's definitely a trend here. Um, now, I would like the president, and I know I'm, I'm going to be preaching to the choir here. Um, you know, I preach think a it, brother, preach it. <laughs> I think a press conference on this uh, would be good for everyone involved, and if he could generate a little uh, public pressure on, especially House Republicans, to get behind this aid package, but also Senate Republicans. Remember that Mitch McConnell. Um, when when the Senate was um I, was that just last month <laughs> yeah. writing, uh, uh working on their own continuing resolution that was eventually scuttled um that there was a debate in the Senate Republican conference about Ukraine Aid they voted uh and a majority of uh Republicans went against Mitch McConnell uh and and said let's not support that in in our own continuing resolution and mcconnell had to come out to the mi- microphones and say the the conference wants to go in a different direction and that's what we're going to do so he's got some work to do in coupling these mcconnell does um uh, in whatever aid package moves and i think biden could could assist in that effort uh coming back after the remarks after the what was a pretty well, a very bold trip into a war zone going to tel aviv um you know, and, and keep ginning up that public support and making the case for it. And I I do think linking the two wars, I know Biden's taking some criticism uh, over it. But at the same time, you know, as he says, if we do nothing, what happens? So I, and I think that's I think that's a compelling argument. I think it's a huge compelling argument. But one of the things that you've heard, one of the
0: fallouts, of course, is from the Arab American community is particularly in uh, Michigan and <laughs> elsewhere. That uh, he's, you know, they'll do anything but vote for Biden now because they think that they sold them out, and he, they think he sold them out in the speech and in his appearance in Tel Aviv. And then I, I remind everyone if that's your feeling, and uh, well, John, you were there when this happened. I ran into Senator Rick Scott, <laughs> and if you think the Democrats are hard on on uh, Palestinians. Rick Scott walked into that meeting to talk about the uh, uh, the trip that the president had just returned from, and he was equating any aid given to the Palestinians as aid to Hamas, and basically said, "Screw the Palestinians, we they get nothing." So, it I I wonder if there's a a, a misunderstanding in both communities about what's going on in the, in the Middle East, and then I look at. Someone like uh, Sarah Silverman, who came out on social media and got trounced for she's a, a comedian who came out and basically said, "Screw the Palestinians, let them die," um, in, in in so many words. And I wonder if I don't know. I'll go back to you on this one, Michael. It, it 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 looks like there are certain parts of America, as always, are playing upon prejudice.
2: Well, that comes as a breaking news flash. <laughs>
0: try not to be overwhelmed with that that insightful revelation
2: i mean the the problem here is there are you know people that are equating those residents of gaza with hamas and and they're not necessarily the the same you've got hamas which is a a force within gaza but it doesn't and yes, they're the government of 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 Gaza, but that's not to say that the people of Gaza, Gaza the civilians, the non-Hamas militant fighters, don't des- deserve to live a, a life of of peace and prosperity. And they haven't for a long, long time. I mean, there it it has been described as an open air prison. Egypt has them locked in on one side, Israel on the other side. They've got huge unemployment they've got no prospects for uh, the future their average age their median age is about 18 you can't that's just not sustainable
0: that's 2 yeah. million
2: people in that small area too 25 square miles or something yeah. it's it's yeah. not sustainable and so if biden wants to win back the the um population that that supports a two state solution and and human rights for Palestinians and stuff, he's got to have to put his money where his mouth is. He's going to have to convene, you know, a Camp David type summit um, to figure out how we're going to move forward with this thing. And I think that... That's an idea. Um, it was very unfortunate that the, uh, the Jordanians and um, the Palestinian Authority and Saudis didn't meet with Biden and use the hospital... Um, explosion as as an excuse not to do it. I think that was a a missed opportunity, and Let's I I don't I, don't, bit, I yeah. don't quite understand it. But the um, the the King of Jordan just came out with a speech the other day, um, which was pretty you know important speech where he says we've got to fix this. We can't continue along the same path. That we're on, and you know he's as I guess as strong an ally in the Middle East as the U.S. has, and so there are storm clouds. Um, there always has been, but there are storm clouds if we're at this inflection point that they've got to really do something about before it, you know, fully explodes into a regional, uh, you know, multi-state war.
0: Yeah, look, we're looking at in Hamas fifty, according to the stats, fifty thousand fighters. The IDF is sending 400,000 after them, 50,000 among 2 million. Man, it's, it's really easy to hide. It's going to be a difficult situation at best. And of course, when you talk about the hospital, there was some poor reporting that was done at first, you know, blaming Israel for it and blaming Hamas for it, and then finding out exactly what did happen. And there are those who said, well, this is just uh, the deep state media. Look, this is just, folks, this is just the media screwing up in its normal fashion you get the early facts you report them you get a chance to vet them maybe maybe not some the, the biggest mistake that are often made in these type of situations that you go and you stand in front of a camera and you say, say it live without ever confirming any of the, of the of what was said i've seen that time and time again one of the things that stand out in my mind was at the branch davidian standoff on the second or third day when someone saw people leaving and said that's the end of the standoff and it was reported up and down the media, that it was, it was over with. And actually, what it was was a shift change. So let's talk a little bit uh, from the reporting standpoint, John, about that whole hospital thing. That was a bit of a fiasco and used as a, as a, uh, as an excuse not to meet with the president.
3: It just didn't turn out real well, did it? No, it didn't. Uh, I agree with Michael that you know uh, Mr. Abbas's decision was really an emotional one. To to not meet with Biden and the other leaders, uh, definitely a missed opportunity. Uh, but it it also shows the distrust among everyone involved, especially the Israelis and the Palestinians. Um, you know, it says something that that he he believed the initial reports. It 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 says something that he was willing to cancel a meeting with the president of the United States. Uh, the the president of Egypt and and the king of Jordan to try to to start maybe talking about the future of, of Gaza after all of this, if there is a future for Gaza as we know it or knew it. Um, it does say something that he thought the Israelis were capable of this. And a lot of people around the world still think that President Biden alluded to that. He told Netanyahu that in Tel Aviv this week. We have a lot to overcome. Because why do why are people willing to believe that that might have been an Israeli missile because of how they've acted in the past? And also some of these operations, say these airstrikes in Gaza, as of this morning, there were over 4,300 Gazans have died in three weeks and 13,500 are wounded. You know, how many of those are not Hamas? How many of those are not even lightly linked to anyone in Hamas? So, you know, I I think that's an important point. But Abbas did, you know, maybe he could have calmed down. The trip was planned. The advance work was done. The security was probably in place. If if he had calmed down, taken a breath, and then said, you know what, guys, let's meet. Let's meet. I'm going back to Jordan. Um, They could have put that back together. Yeah. And, and it was a missed opportunity and it was an emotional reaction, but there's a reason why he reacted the way he did. um, And, and, you know, I'm not sure what, no one's sure what becomes of Gaza or or who's going to govern it. And, you know, who's going to pay to rebuild it. If they're even going to well, pay. Yeah, to rebuild If it'll it. ever
0: get rebuilt or it will be a rubble for the next 50 years. And that right. brings me to this, what's going on this week. I mean, We've got two U.S. carrier groups that have steamed into the Mediterranean. This is not, you know, if those worried about a regional war. Yeah, yeah. There's a line in uh, the Alec Baldwin movie uh, about Jack Ryan, you know, Hunt for Red October. Our our aircraft and your aircraft that close together, you know, things can happen. So you put that much of us there and that much of them there. And, and you've already had one U- member of a U.S. carrier group uh, shooting down some Uh, cruise missiles this week that came from uh, God knows where. So with all that going on and canceling, here we sit as this week begins with more troops in the Middle East than we've had in a very long time. You've got uh, heightened tensions all around the region and our military action. What's Michael, what do you, what would you like to see as a political reaction? What do you think would be a, a necessary, I mean, after the president's speech, which asked for uh, people to contribute and to take part and to help, what do you think is the next political action that needs to take place in the US?
2: Well, I think the next thing that has to happen is what I suggested, which is that he engage in diplomatic efforts along the lines of Jimmy Carter to reach some sort of Camp David-like accord uh, in um, the Palestinian um, territories, both the West Bank and and Gaza, and that he needs to put the the might of the United States to making peace. peace. I also think that he needs to continue his theme that he started in 2020 and which he'll continue in 2024, which is that the democracy is at stake, both domestically from from the the MAGA um, anti government uh, forces and um, internationally, where authoritarians are uh, gaining ground, and oftentimes through the ballot box, and I think he needs to make this case that this is this is important, both as a matter of domestic maintaining the democracy that. We were left uh, after the uh, con- Constitutional convention and the world order that was put in place after the Second World War, and that we have this unique obligation as America to to move forward on both things. And I think he needs to articulate that. Maybe, you know, as what you said, concept. hold a hold a pre- hold a press conference to talk about it, but I think he needs to be on TV more. I mean, Roosevelt during the war, had the fireside chat. Right, hold on, hold on. I'm going
0: to interrupt. This is
2: a non-reporter saying this. It ain't just us. Go for it, Michael. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think that no, I know you want to ask him questions. I, I, I no, but think I that. think
0: you're right. It's the communication to the American public that I think yeah. has been lacking in this administration. Yeah, I think I, he needs to be out there more often.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think he, as I said, I thought it was off. He was off to a good start with this um, uh, address to the nation. Uh, But I think it can't be a one off. It has to be followed by diplomacy internationally, domestically. He has to keep reminding people that democracy is really on on the ballot. And he has to be a much more present presence in our life. And if they're afraid for him to do that because he'll show signs of his age, then, you know, then he's got to step aside um, and let somebody Who's able to to rise to the level? Oh, that that's required. a different
0: issue altogether that <laughs> we, we could spend an hour talking about. <laughs> John, what do you think the next step should be for the president?
2: Well,
3: I, I think you can question, and I know he's he's had a very stressful few weeks, and um I didn't fly into a war zone. Right. I love Adrian. that they it's all
0: not... criticized him and said right. he's weak Joe Biden, but he's been to two war zones. Too. while he's been president and too. i don't care and he's got a lot of security but no matter where you go they can still
3: drop a bomb on your
0: ass and he 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 took a risk True. going there
3: right um so i i didn't do any of that and and i didn't fly into israel this week and then and then give a a primetime address the next uh hey. the next evening at 81 almost 81 years old but i will say this um you have to keep that momentum going in in modern media, and we've got these things, these phones in our pockets. We're all watching clips all the time. You can't just go dark. You have to keep it out there, and you can't just clip the speech and package it on social media. Um, I don't know if I would have gone to the beach this week, uh, this weekend. Uh, I might have done a Sunday show from the Roosevelt Room or or something like that, uh, another sit-down interview. Um, You know, he just gave CBS uh, something with 60 Minutes. You know, meet the press has a new moderator who's a known entity in that White House. Kristen Welker was a White House reporter until about a month ago, so you could have had her over and you could have taped something, you know, Friday or yesterday, and and you're back, you're you're back, you're you're, you're in there, and then you come back early next week with something else making your case, and you know, instead you know, we got Secretary of State Blinken, who's not, you know. I know he's had the president's ear for a long time. He's been his foreign policy advisor for a long time. Right. But that's let's not let's not confuse Tony Blinken with a charismatic media figure. You know, he's more of a textbook kind of guy. He's he's a wonk. And right now, what we need is empathy Joe and and strong, strong Joe explaining why these proxy wars against America's enemies, Iran, Russia um are so important right now and so he need they need to keep the momentum alive and this weekend you know another missed opportunity and we've talked here about their messaging and how they never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity
0: yeah i uh, before we go to break i'll just say it this way i like what you had i'm gonna rope together what everyone said i i think he does need a new camp date. he needs to invite everybody to camp david sit down relax nosh have barbecue get away from the shit, go go to the Maryland Hills, chill and talk. That's the first thing he needs to do. Secondly, I think he needs a joint address to Congress. I don't Hmm. think that I think Congress needs to invite him. Uh, Of course, this is all contingent on what we're
3: going to talk about in the next segment. Right. uh, The the speaker of the house has to invite the president. And right now that's a problem.
0: That's not going to happen right now, but that needs to happen. I think. And finally, I think he does need a, a uh, primetime press conference from the Rose Gardener from the East Room, where he talks about this uh, for about an hour and opens up uh, to questioning on all things because at the end of the day, both of you are absolutely right. There needs to be more coming from this President and not less. And I don't think having seen him and and you know, and John, you know, we don't get shots at him as much as we got at Trump members of the pool don't even get to see him as, as much, but when the members of the pool talk to him, I always talk to him. I go, well, how does he look? Is, is this a a legitimate concern about his physical abilities? And, and, and even, you know, Peter Ducey has said, no, he's fine. So I, I, I think that he needs to be out there talking to us more often. And that's just without that, I don't think this uh, sells. Although right now it's such a high profile, um, news story that you know it's even eclipsing the other big mouth that we have in this country that always takes up all the airs and we'll talk about that a little bit later but so as we go to break i guess one thing i want to come back to before we talk about um the the house problems coming out of the break i want to just wrap this up with talking about um lumping in israel with ukraine and how that works so we'll we'll have that on the other side of the break sit tight we'll be right back Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page,
1: J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, just ask the questions newsletter cuts through the bs and gets to the truth with brian's in-depth articles columns and exclusive content not found anywhere else get the scoop and stay in the know sign up for the just ask the question newsletter now at substack.com slash j-a-t-q podcast Hi, we are
0: back. It is Just Asked the Question. I am your host, Brian Karen, With me once again, uh, former federal prosecutor, host of his own podcast, and I, and by the way, I loved it this week, Michael Zeldin, and with us as well, as always, whose columns I read religiously and is one of the more informed people that I like in Capitol Hill, uh, editor-at-large, CQ Call, John Bennett. Guys, when we left, I talked about the last thing I want to talk about in this before we jump into the the wastewater that is the House of Representatives, lumping Israel in in the speech, the president lumped Israel in with Ukraine, making the point that both of them are you know, viable. We, we spoke peripherally about that a little bit, Michael, but he, what the president was, I thought, in doing this was not only tying these two together, but obliquely pointing to who the, the real culprit is behind all of this. When he, when he mentioned Ukraine, and that's Vladimir Putin, or am I merely extenuating, am I just merely interpolating things that, that he didn't say? Michael? Well,
2: I have enough trouble understanding things that are said, no less things that aren't said.
0: <laughs> what, reading I, between the lines? You're, you're a federal <clears throat> prosecutor. You got to do that.
2: <laughs> no, I look for uh, evidence that's admissible in court. Um, <laughs>
0: Oh, you'd not, never make it in politics.
2: <laughs> not what was he thinking. But yeah. regardless, I think it's pretty well documented that what's going on in the world, as it often has been the case, are um, proxy fights among uh, superpowers. And here we've got Russia and China and the U.S. engage in this this dance with, you know, key players such as Iran and Saudi Arabia and others who have their own uh, agenda. And I don't know if we're doing any, whether any one person, Putin or the head of China or the head of Moti in India. I mean, I don't know whose interests are behind what, but I think that what is clear is that there is, you know, sort of a multi-level chess game that's being played here. Um, and it's very hard to sort out whose interests are being uh, promoted by what events. And so maybe, Brian, you're right that Vladimir Putin has an interest in what's going on in the Middle East. He certainly has one in Ukraine. That's obvious. Um, but I don't I just don't know the answer to the question of, of beyond beyond the former Soviet Union satellite states, what his what his agenda is. I, I just don't know it. John? One
3: vote is easier than two votes. I think it comes down to that. And um, if you want to get the Ukraine peace through, um, there's no better vehicle on in either chamber than attaching it to the Israeli aid. And um, you know, I think the White House was smart enough based on my conversations with Senate Republicans uh, when I was on the Hill this week, uh, you know, they, they didn't include the the border security piece. Well, I think that was probably strategic. I bet a certain gentleman named Mitch McConnell probably had some advice on that one. Let us attach that on the floor. And then Republican senators can say, oh, we're not crazy about the Ukraine peace. They'll probably increase the, the, the dollar amount for the for the around 15 billion for Israel, tack on some border security money and say, look, we fixed it. And yeah. I think most Senate Democrats will go along with that because the Senate Democrats I've talked to and, and my colleagues at CQ Roll Call uh, have talked to Senate Democrats. Uh, they want to do border security, uh, a, a piece of this as well. So there is by so the president. Yeah. And so do so do House Republicans, especially some of those more moderate uh, uh, House Democrats that are in purple or purple ish districts. So, you know, there's bipartisan support for this now. Of course, the devil is always on border security funding as you know Brian is in the details. Yeah. And, you know, it it just depends on 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 what those monies are proposed to go for and and that's a lot of times where where the parties have differences. So, if they can if they can come to a border security aspect of this, tack it on, you know, maybe a little less for Ukraine than 60, maybe more than 15 for Israel, adjust those numbers, um, disaster relief, you know, hurricane relief, wildfire relief uh, funds for for domestic purposes uh, to give out to the states. And I think if they can come to that agreement, once this thing starts moving, if we can get a speaker. That's uh, the next issue, don't yeah. jump the gun. <laughs> I, th- I think you'll see by par- big, big relative to our current era, big bipartisan margins uh, in both houses now. I wouldn't expect a lot of House Republicans to vote for something like this because they do want to get reelected. And, you know, all the forces that we've talked about here have have convinced Republican voters that the federal government is um, this big evil monster. Uh, So there are reasons that they might vote against it while quietly getting things for their districts included in the bill. You know if my district builds wheels for a surveillance drone that is used by Customs and Border Patrol, well, I'll take those jobs back home and then go vote against the thing. And, you know, most of my voters aren't going to know how I voted on this. So well, I'll just go yeah. home and like they did with the infrastructure bill, I'll just go home and and tout what I got in there. And, you know, oh, you just have to come up with, well, I didn't like this part of it, but I made sure to get this. So... Um, there's bipartisan support once, if they can agree to the border piece, I think it moves pretty quickly, but you have to get a speaker first.
0: Yeah, let's, uh, final word on this and then we'll jump into the speaker. I think the president's speech was one of his better ones. I, I agree that it was the one in, uh, uh, Poland that was probably one of his best this a close second. I wish more people would see it, but they've got to get their butts out and talk more in order to do that. Now, to get in front of the, a joint session of Congress, as I think he probably should, you're going to have to find a Speaker of the House to invite him. And the <laughs> we've now gone, what, two and a half weeks without a Speaker after Matt Gates pulled the trigger and dumped Kevin McCarthy, and the Republicans have never been in more disarray. They spent an entire week trying to get uh, Donald Trump's minions, either Steve Scalise or, in this case, Jim Jordan, an entire week wasted on Jim Jordan. He ain't cutting it. Every time he he went in the wrong direction, first it was, uh, what, 20 uh, that didn't want him, and the second vote, 22, and the third, 25, and he lost 86 to 112 in his own caucus after that. So he had lost. He kept losing. He's vowed that he's going to continue, but now there's a talk of getting uh, Patrick McHenry, not Patrick Henry, for those of you who keep mistaking it. One was give me liberty or give me death. The other one is the 47-year-old guy from the South who looks like he's 90. But nonetheless, he also has friends on both sides of the aisle and they say he's a straight shooter. So will they give Patrick McHenry more power as a speaker pro tem to move forward so the House can consider some uh, legislation? Because at the end of the day, as we all know, uh, November 17th is coming up. And if we don't have a speaker and a continuing resolution or a budget, the government shuts down then. You're staring at uh, the aid packages that need to pass to Ukraine and uh, to Israel. And then you're also looking at the border security issues. None of this, none of this happens unless we have a speaker. So I was there uh, last week as you were, John. And um, I I guess I'll start with you. What the fuck happened? (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> that's a lot of questions brian let's what the fuck let's happened let's... take them in in reverse order um what happened well nothing but yeah, a lot, if, if you know what i mean which is how i have described the house for over a decade um oh, they, they 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 tried they tried See,
0: well, let me ask you, you know jim gordon
3: up. tried to become oh no but my, my question to
0: you what you said is true all right for a decade they've does this I, I mean, I know it's not a big surprise, but is it a bigger worry of because of what we've seen? Do you do you
3: think there's it's more uh, acute? Oh sure, we should worry more because, I mean, we have I've lost track of of the list of Republicans who are now running for Speaker. It's it's over six. Uh, you know they'll come back Monday evening and 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 they'll try to have a candidate form and hear everybody out. Then I guess they'll start voting in that. One of their rooms, either in the Longworth building or in the basement of the Capitol. But it is more acute because none of the as of right now, none of the candidates can can get to the 217 votes on the floor that they need to become speaker. And, you know, I guess they'll have multiple ballots in conference and, you know, start voting people off the island, so to speak. And then they'll get down to two. And you know you could have a a Tom Emmer versus, um, and I'm just pulling a name out of a hat here, a Pete Sessions who's a former Rules Committee chair. Um, so you, you could have something like that emerge by the end of the week, and then you know maybe Emmer wins a majority. But then if they if but well, you don't think uh, Lord Byron Donalds will do it? Maybe it's Donalds. I mean, this is this is wide open. No one knows what's going to happen when they come back, but. Because nobody can get to 217 on the floor, the only thing that that the reporting shows from folks who are unlucky enough to be standing in these hallways waiting for Republicans to come out is that would be us. They're just getting angrier at each other. They're not even they're not even mad at. I mean, they're mad at Democrats all the time, but on <laughs> this one, they're just getting. They're just, the the divisions among them are only getting deeper and well, wider. Let me ask. And and I have one. I'm sorry. One question that I have is, you know, and I said this to you, Brian, and some of my colleagues internally is, why, why is Kevin McCarthy so involved and and related to that? Yeah, related to that. Why don't they go into the room eventually and ask McCarthy and Matt Gates, who who kicked off the vote to oust McCarthy as speaker? Maybe you guys sit this one out. And let's see where the rest of us can get. Maybe they could try that. But I am puzzled. I know McCarthy, you know, he still has a lot of support. He you know, his line was I when he was ousted is four percent of the conference. Four um, percent of the conference joined with Democrats to voting. It's the 96 percent who still want me to be speaker. I get that. Yeah, but he set the rules. That that he accepted the rules that
0: allowed to do that, and my question, and I just, I just wonder how how constructive his
3: presence is. Sorry.
0: Yeah, my question for you is: Matt Gaetz said, "Look, we'll accept this accommodation. Kick us out of the, you know, the eight of us out of that are conservative. Kick us out of the caucus. We'll still be Republicans. Just elect Jim Jordan. That's exactly what they want. They just want Jim Jordan as so." give me what i want and i'll get what i want he can i i don't see that as a viable alternative either do you anybody <laughs> john do you see that as a viable alternative they that he gets that matt gates allows himself to get picked out of the caucus just so they elect uh you know uh jim jordan which is what he wants to begin with
3: um I, I i mean i I don't i don't I don't know if other members would want to set the precedent of kicking of, people out of, of the kicking people out of the conference. i mean, even if if i mean if if you pulled if you pulled most of the conference aside by the elevator around the corner from where they're meeting and and asked them off the record or if you know, even a secret ballot vote does set the precedent for, you know, somebody became difficult or was holding us all up um I mean even if you put well wait um, a, wait are, a, are a, you grouping the now, now that the important well, question a, 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 of that is it don't it, no, it's common because are you grouping the ethics investigation and in, the results of right. the ethics investigation in with that now if if it comes to the ethics investigation coming out and being really damning against Gates and he's still causing all this all this trouble I think that could shift it toward being at least kicked out of the conference. Maybe not yeah, as I was going to say,
0: there are plenty of people that want to punch. I mean, you and I heard it. There are people who want to punch. Man, they said if we don't adjourn and get out of here, somebody's going to it's going to come to right.
3: Block. If you kick him out of the conference and you strip him of his committee assignments, you also have to remember that that just gives him more time to go on cable news and that conservative bitch. radio and 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 stir the pot and and light the fire. Uh, even more. So maybe sometimes it's better to keep people inside the tent and keep them busy sitting in a hearing room until it's their turn to ask a question. So I, and the precedent thing, um, you know, they have one donor who does something untoward or, or their, their campaign finance has one little error or something in it. Um, you they, they just don't want to set, I don't think they want to set that precedent.
0: And so Michael, to you, we're, we're looking at it from inside the bubble. Both of us actually, you know, being in the halls of Congress this week, having to flag those people down, and nothing was funnier than watching Lauren Bobert walk away, and nobody wanted to talk to her. But uh, you're sitting from outside the bubble. What? How do you see the fight for what's going on for for a new speaker?
2: Oh, it's a food fight among a fractious party that has no consensus with respect to what they want to do as the majority party as a matter of of governing and until they figure out what is our governing philosophy what do we want to accomplish i don't think they'll ever overcome the balkanized nature of their of their party and will be left with this situation even if several people fall out of the uh, out out of the party temporarily or they vote present instead of actually voting so you can get some caretaker speaker. doesn't really matter, does it, if they don't have a consensus about what they really want to do with with the gavel. And I think the biggest problem that they face is a lack of a a, a point of view about governing because you've got people in the conference that don't want to govern. They have no interest in governing. I think one of the telling remarks about Jim Jordan's candidacy is that he's been in Congress for a long time, relatively speaking, a long time, with no legislation um, passed of which he was, you know, a, a primary author. Sixteen
0: uh, years, not one piece of legislation.
2: And Matt Gates and, and 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 Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and, and many other um, have no. Real agenda other than to create, you know, sort of Michigas craziness, um, and so they got to figure that out. What, you know, what do they stand for? What do they want to do? You know, the Republican Party of um, the Bushes were, you know, very obvious politically: uh, small government, less regulation, some, you know, sort of modest environmental policies. They, you know, they had they stood for. U- U.S. interventionism, I mean, they 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 stood for something, whether you agreed with it or not, as a wholly separate matter. But at least there was something that you <laughs> could understand uh, that they represented. And now, as an outsider, uh, people will say to me, because they think I know something when I walk around, they'll say, yeah. what's going on up there? And my answer is, beats me, um, other than what I've just described, which is that they don't have a governing philosophy, and until they do, um, and they can coalesce around it, all this is meaningless. Whether you take this the, the McHenry as the pro temp and give him more power, what difference does it make? They 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 can't consense around policy, so there'll be you know complete dysfunction regardless of who's in charge.
0: Well, and and you know the beats me comment you're saying it from out there. I've heard that from members of Congress, what's going on beats me. And they're in the meeting that, and as we've said, John, that's one of those stinky rooms with stale pizza and stale coffee and stale cigarettes and stale cigars and smells of farts and sweat flop sweat. And they they're stuck in that damn room and they're not doing anything. And so I, all right. So as we end this segment, before we go to break and come back and talk about, you know, uh, Lord Donnie, uh, where do you, there's really two questions uh, to end it with. What the hell does the speaker do? Why do we need him? Why can't we just empower the speaker pro tem? You know, because he is basically, you know, he, he's just the traffic cop in, in the, the house. Can it be done without, you know, a consensus of who that should be? And um, where do you see it long-term? I mean, not just, I mean, the, the fear is by November 17th, it'll all shut down. But where do we see it by, you know, winter break by spring? Um, I'll let you start with that one, John.
3: Yeah, on the first question, um, uh, why is he important? Well, the the speaker um, the speaker sets the agenda. He decides what uh, comes to the floor and, and what doesn't. Uh, Dan Crenshaw was on. Uh, he's a Republican congressman from Texas who was backing Mr. Jordan. Um, but he also backed the idea, which the Republican conference, because they didn't want to make the decision without a majority of the conference supporting, giving the Speaker Pro Tem, Patrick McHenry, um, and this wouldn't have needed Democratic votes, which is why a majority of the Republicans didn't want to do it, uh, to move le- the ability to move legislation, which he doesn't have now. right? Uh, and he would become an elected Speaker Pro Tem, and that unlocks, under House rules, uh, more powers. So... Um, you know, as Dan Crenshaw said, why is all this hubbub over who is Speaker happening? Because he's something of air traffic control. He's not necessarily the leader of the party. Um, this is me, not Crenshaw, and we're going to get to this in a, in a few minutes, I believe. Right. We all know who the leader of this party is, and it ain't yes. the Speaker of the House. You know, it, it doesn't matter if it's Kevin McCarthy or Steve Scalise or Jim Jordan or Tom Emmer. They're not the leader of the party now they 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 do have a lot of say because they have an ability to raise a lot of money to help pick Republican House uh, uh candidates for for the next election cycle and and that's what that's where McCarthy really wielded his power was right. in the election part of it, the political part of it, not so much the legislative part of it. So Crenshaw's point, I think is a good one that we could just elect McHenry for however long needed, be it through the shutdown threat, maybe into early next year. That was one proposal from a House Republican was, let's give him the power until uh, January 3rd, deal with what we have to, with the spending situation, the shutdown threat, these military aid bills, humanitarian stuff, all the stuff we've been talking about, come back in January, maybe Jim Jordan twists enough arms and 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 convinces enough people, or you maybe it's it emmer- shut down through January. Well, I think this week is very telling because at some point House Republicans will just get tired of all this. We've seen this before, We're not with a speaker issue, but with you know with government shutdown threats and 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 other things. Is they just get worn down and they we saw it with the back McCarthy off. vote on the yeah. floor, and they back down
0: yeah, after what we're not votes. seeing
3: is anyone backing down. And there are several camps. There's the governing group that that want to govern, and I'm using air quotes because passing spending bills that are going nowhere in the Senate it's not exactly governing. Um there's the Gates eight, and then there's there there there's kind of there there there's also a, a very conservative faction that they're not necessarily the Gates eight. But they're not willing to join with Democrats on anything like, you know, some of the moderates are. Right. So I do think that the government, there's a high chance right now the government shuts down. Uh, I think this week will be telling if Republicans could get behind somebody like a Tom Emmer, or I mean, I think it's a long shot for Byron Donalds, but if, they just, he, he enough. Yeah. if right. they just decide enough's enough. Yeah. If they just decide enough's enough. Then then that might be how this thing breaks. But the my column this week for rollcall dot uh, com was on just that that maybe what they need is a deadline. And the first deadline's deadline is <laughs> deadline. Yeah, and that's November 17th with the government funding deal. I also said they might feel more pressure the day after the Senate passes a Ukraine uh Israel funding bill with border funds and disaster relief money. You know, that could that could start to generate a lot of pressure that, okay, you know, you guys have to get serious because right now there's no deadline. They can go in that room from now into eternity without a deadline or some kind of public pressure. So, you know, once that aid package clears the Senate, we get closer to November 17th, you know, it might just focus enough people in that room and the outcome could be they come back to the McHenry idea. And right, and a group of them, you and I talked about this earlier in the week, a group of them maybe goes to Akeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader, and says, okay, let's just elevate Macar- McHenry. Let's for the make a being. deal. Yeah. Yeah. Let's elevate him through, you know, Christmas or January 3rd or 4th or something. And, you know, let's clear all this legislation and then we'll go in the room in January and try again. And beat our own ass.
0: Uh, M- Michael. Well, before we head to the break, I'll let you take a stab at that.
2: Well, what struck me so interesting uh, and why I go back to this notion that they have no idea what they're doing is that (laughs) on the third third public vote, uh, Jim Jordan had 200-ish, 198-ish votes. And then they go behind closed doors and he gets 87 (laughs) votes, um, which just speaks to the level of, of dysfunction. That is... No one in the Republican Party is willing to in public say what in private they actually believe, which is that the party is off the rails and needs somebody to bring it back. So I, I think that they have sort of an existential issue that they have to deal with. They can do these little workarounds with the the um, pro temp and uh, enhanced powers stuff. But until they decide what they stand for they're they're a a weight against the democracy they are a drain against the democracy because they prevent us from in these times of um, global crisis moving forward coherently you know so you could. i agree with all that john said as always that you could do these manual workarounds and you might get a spending bill here or you might get a a uh, 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 general promoted there but that's not governing that's that's just you know the little boy with his fingers in in the the dam that's not governing and no. we we need a functioning government both to protect and preserve our democracy at home and to try to play the role in the world that we have perhaps the unique powers to do so you know it's like um bob dylan says you know get out of the hallway if you can't lend a hand and and they're they're not lending a hand and they're blocking yeah. the they're blocking the hallways so get out of the hallway you know you're not lending a hand figure out what you want to do and and let us move forward as a country john you yeah, I say,
3: there. <laughs> yeah i was gonna raise there yeah not uh yeah i, I wanted uh Piggyback on something Michael said. I was going to save this for the, the Trump segment, but I'll I'll, I'll do it now. There, this is largely a popularity contest. This is not about ideology. It's not about philosophy or worldview. That's what John Fetterman told us,
0: remember? He yeah. said they're right. entertainers and they need to do their damn job.
3: That's been settled within the Republican Party. It's America first. It's Donald Trump's party. So this isn't about how we you know a little bit about ukraine aid but trump is basically against it so that's been settled trump's influence is all over that so this isn't about this is about process and personality this is about well i didn't get i didn't get my amendment in committee and then i only got two on the floor and kevin's me and 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 jim it's me and, and and jordan erred with, and his supporters and staff erred where they tried to bully people into voting for him on the floor for speaker and and they just didn't like it they got some Republican members got death threats over who's going to be the air traffic controller of the House of Representatives I mean you know so so this is about personality and tactics and procedure and it's not about ideology and that's a big problem to Michael's point why do you stand for other than all hell Donald Trump
0: yeah. Well, I'll end it this way. At a time when the president of the United States says the U.S. is still the beacon to the world, we have one problem. We got a couple of light bulbs out and they're all in, in the house. I cannot predict the future. I don't know that any of us can. I do believe the next week will tell us the direction that we're in which we're going. But I predict it's going to be dire for the Republican Party. I don't believe that if uh, they find themselves on the wrong side of history, that there'll be many Republicans that will be elected come 2024. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, it was, what was it, Lindsey Graham, who said if we embrace Donald Trump, it'll be the end of the Republican Party, and we will have deserved it. Well, that's where we are. So stick around. We're going to unload the latest fiasco, the Kraken and Cheeseboro Flip. Sounds like a weird dessert. Uh, The civil case in New York, and and we'll end it with a little debate about the eroding support and wealth of Donald Trump. So stick around. We'll be right back.
1: Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show... To help support us by becoming a member on patreon for the price of a latte you can help guard democracy join us today at patreon.com slash jatq podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve
0: hi we are back it is just ask the question i am your host brian kerman for the first time in many weeks, not only is it not the top story of the week or the second story of the week, but the last story of the week to talk about Donald Trump's latest fiascos. Uh, his uh, personal attorney, Sidney Powell, flipped down in Georgia, as did uh, uh, Chesborough. And I'll let Michael, if you'll unload that for us. And what does that actually mean in those, in the RICO case? Those two have flipped.
2: So you had two Defendants Cheeseboro and um Sydney bell The Sorry. Kraken. The Kraken. I keep you know looking at this sea monster, which is what the <laughs> <That's> right. A, <laughs> it's like a Norwegian sea monster or Danish sea monster. Hey, Danish. That's a good way to look at her. <laughs> and what what sports team is named the Kraken? It's a, a hockey team. Yeah,
0: I think you're right. I can't see her playing hockey though.
2: Um, no, we'll leave that to Sarah Palin. The, um, oh, 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 wasn't that her line? The hockey yeah, yeah. Is, and a pig, anyway. <laughs> sorry, no, that's the question. Fine. Is the question is, it got John uh, on the floor over there. <laughs> the question is, what happened to Sidney Powell and and uh Kenneth Chesborough? So, those two guys were indicted in this multi person uh Georgia indictment. and they asked for a speedy trial so they were set to go to trial um at the end of last week and both decided to accept the plea offer and each pleaded guilty to uh, crimes related to that which they were indicted for chesborough for a conspiracy to submit false documentation the the false electors scheme and sydney powell for conspiracy to breach the Coffey County election voting machines. They each agreed to a period of probation instead of jail. Uh, That was not hard for them to decide. But in exchange for it, they have to agree to testify truthfully in um, the upcoming multi-defendant Georgia trial. And probably I would expect that Chesborough is going to be subpoenaed to testify in the January 6th federal trial, as might, well, um, Sidney Powell, now that they've got um, these plea agreements under their belt. And so the question is, what do they have to offer the prosecutors that they would accept a no-jail plea agreement? And the answer, I think, is that Chesborough and Sydney Powell were both there at the early stages of the big lie uh, uh, strategy. They called Chesbrough one of the architects of it. And Sidney Powell, of course, we know was famously going from state to state with Rudy Giuliani, arguing that the dead Caesar Chavez and others were manipulating the voting machines, that which gave rise to the near right. $2 billion civil uh, lawsuit by the um, voting machine company. So there they sit as convicted um, defendants testifying against Trump, Meadows, Giuliani, Eastman, all those who were left. And presumably they'll say, we knew that uh, we lost and that we were nonetheless engaged in this strategy. In fact, sort of surprising to me, on MSNBC the other day, Chesboro's lawyer came on and said that Chesboro knew all along that Biden had won. Yeah. I heard and, that. Uh, firstly, what what is he doing on television violating attorney client <laughs> privilege communications? I mean, all of these, all of these people only have, the best oh, people. <laughs> right. But but if he's saying Chesborough knew from the outset that that Biden had lost that Biden had won that Trump had lost and Biden had won then isn't it an admission essentially that what they were doing
0: was illegal
2: was, was knowingly illegal to them i mean i thought the answer should have been that he thought it was legal because he thought that there was you know the though remote the prospect that trump actually lost because of fraud and they were putting this hail mary strategy forward knowing that it was a Hail Mary but believing in their legal, you know, hearts that it was uh, lawful. He seemed to have said just the opposite. The guy knew uh, that Biden lost, that Biden won, that Trump lost and um he went forward with this scheme anyway. And I if he's going to testify to that, um that can't be helpful.
0: No, but Michael, you're employing logic and and, and common sense to to an issue where there seems to be none John
3: couldn't I couldn't have put that better uh Brian uh I mean I come back to what I've said here before it's to me the way I interpret a lot of what the former president and and his legal and other advisors say in public um it it, it I don't get the sense that Trump is 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 saying necessarily that what I that I didn't do any of this he's saying it wasn't illegal uh to try doing it he yeah, said he, in he fact he said the next that he had
0: Nixon defense as long as the president yeah. does it it's right. legal
3: right Yeah. That you took right I was going to say Trump talks about this like he had a duty to do all of this as president because there was fraud and election interference and and everything else that he says so you know I'm not surprised I thought it was the least the two least surprising developments of the week that that Powell and and Chesborough took these plea agreements, um, you know, it looks like they're going to avoid any kind of prison time, um, and and you know they, we've talked about this here before. Why would you go to prison for Donald Trump? Because he won't go to prison for you. <laughs> you're, right, you're no longer of use to him, so you might as well take the plea deal and and avoid prison time. Um, so I think I, I think this was wise on 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 both accounts from people who didn't show a lot of wisdom back in, in late 2000 and early 2001. And this is a big problem. Th- these are both big problems for Trump. It's not one big problem, yeah. two big problems. And he's got a lot of big problems legally. Uh, now, politically, I was looking at polls this morning.
0: Now, we'll get into that. We'll yeah, get into that. and he's hold still on, way up. He's
3: still way up. And yeah. he's still very competitive with Biden. Um, but, but legally... He's got a lot of problems because- Is that
0: true, Michael? Does he have a lot? Do you think that the flipping will present a lot of legal problems for Donnie?
2: I think that there are parts of this case in Georgia that are are pretty strong. And the more people who can testify that Donald Trump or any of the other defendants knew that they lost and that what they were engaging in this fake elector's Scheme particularly um, was illegal; that it wasn't done in good faith. Then, yeah, I think that he has legal legal jeopardy, and he he may well um, be convicted.
0: And that's kind of the, the the strategy, right? When you do a RICO trial, you try to get everybody except the top guy to plead, and then he he's standing alone. They kind of all fall away, and there he is. So, uh, right.
2: Well, they want everyone to plead if yeah. they can, even, even <laughs> the top guy. But the, the way it works is exactly right. You just build from the bottom up. And when everybody around you um, pleads guilty and there you are left standing, you know, sort of, as I've said, even the president of the United States sometimes must have to stand naked, as Dylan sang in Subterranean Homesick Blues, <laughs> um, that... Uh, you have no choice but to figure out what you're going to do because it, the spectacle. Remember, this is Georgia. It's televised. So the spectacle of Donald Trump sitting alone at, the, at, a, at a table with everyone um, formally indicted with him testifying as to his knowledge and intent, that can't be a good legal or political position to find yourself in.
0: You know, you bring up an interesting point. Ted Boutros, who represented me when I when I uh, beat Trumpy in, in uh, uh, court three times uh, to keep my press pass, he has filed a, a, um, a pleading on behalf of NBC and the press to televise the DC federal trial. Do you think that that, and and I'll ask you both, do you think that's a wise decision? Because there are those who think, hey, don't put Trump on TV. It'll just, he'll suck all the oxygen out of the room. There are others who say, put him on TV in a courtroom, he'll be controlled and we'll expose him for the fool that he is. I'll start with you, Michael. You think it's a good idea to televise that trial?
2: I think it is. I think that transparency around this issue is important such that, America can see what it is that is being you know sort of put forth in a court of law similar to i think the value that the white um, the the Sam Irvin committee right. provided for in Watergate this you know sort of let's have butterfield and john dean and all these people come forward under oath and say this is what happened and that turned the tide in, in that case, and I think that we need to turn the tide on the cult of, of Donald Trump, and perhaps bringing it into the sub- sober um, chambers of a federal courthouse and having witnesses testify uh, as to what they saw, similar to January sixth, but that didn't really make right. any real changes. But I think that I think there's a value. In that, I think that would be helpful. That's the same to...
0: argument Ted made in his pleading: is that it's the president of the United States, and if ever there was a time when the American people needed the transparency, it's now. So you agree? Well, to...
2: as, and as you know, my my wife and Ted were law partners at Gibson Dunn for twenty yeah. plus years, and I think very, very highly of Ted Butrost.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do. As do I. He's a good friend. But John, your thoughts? You think it should be televised?
3: I think the January sixth trial. Um, this would be and, the federal and, trial in in DC. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. one definitely should. I think transparency. I think the people need to to hear. They just need to hear it laid out. Um, you know, trials have a way of condensing things and and um, and and just kind of changing public perception of things. So you're not hearing, uh, you know, a legal analyst on CNN or Fox try to interpret it for you now. I'm not. We're not going to understand every legal aspect of all of this. So you do need you do need the experts um, to interpret it. But you know, I just think it's different. And and of course, we all think of the OJ trial uh, that did change uh, some public opinion back then. I will say that the Florida case, the classified documents case, that's going to be too complicated. So I don't think that one needs to be televised. That just needs to roll through the legal process and the national security classification process. On its own, it would be great uh, if that one could be could be televised or streamed. But I think that's way too complicated, and I think it would be confusing for the public if you know from nine a.m. until ten seventeen there was live coverage, and then two days later it comes back from nine until eleven, and then we got to go back into classified sessions. So I think that trial needs to flow, and for the fairness for the fairness of the defendant, the prosecution. And the judge in that trial, um, I, I just think it would be too disjointed. And for the public, it, it would just be too difficult. Well, that leads
0: me to the last issue that we'll talk about today. And that is, uh, well, I have a couple of letters, but let's get through this real quick. Because I um, I look at this and see Donald Trump's handpicked, uh, look, he lost the presidency, Right. His hand according
2: picked, to you, Brian. Yeah,
0: yeah according, according to me, and what forty-seven court cases, and then and it's not me, folks. So he lost. He lost the election. His hand uh people to run the house were not picked to run the house. I see the GOP is the last bastion of, of support that Donny has, and I can, and I know. The polls show him way up. We were talking about that earlier, John. But at the end of the day, I see him slipping. This is Donald Trump losing control of the party. If he had control of the party, he'd have a speaker in the House. And it is him pulling the strings. We know that. So if he's losing control of the House, he's losing in court, not to mention in New York, it's already determined that he's a fraud. They're just determining how much money they're going to take from him. And he's in court for that. He still has 91 felonies. He's also been determined not only to be a fraud, but a rapist in civil court. This is Donnie. I, I again say at the end of the day, it's Donnie losing support and we're not going to see him on the ballot. You disagree. So go for it. I,
3: I strongly it. disagree. Even Donald go Trump, sure. Donald Trump is the Republican Party, period. Donald Trump never cared. And it's done. No- Donald Trump never cared about the House of Representatives except to take shots at then Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Donald Trump does not care about the House of Representatives now. I don't think he cares that much who the Speaker is. Again, it's a job about process and dealing with people and amendments. And is this germane? Is that germane? What did the parliamentarian say? That's not a that's not a thing that Donald these aren't things that Donald Trump thinks about or cares about or wants to be immersed in. I don't so disagree. You, you 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 can look at, I, I wouldn't look at what's going on with House Republicans and make any kind of blanket assessment about the party, the bigger party. This is an internal fight about about personalities and who's been mean to me and who maybe didn't campaign hard enough for me or who wouldn't come to my district when I needed it. Or, you know, I've been and and very validly, I've been getting death threats because of my speaker vote. So this isn't about America first. This isn't about tariffs. This isn't about a lumber fight with Canada. And those are, you know, this isn't about Iran. You think all of this is not indicative of
0: Donald Trump losing control? Not at all. You still think that he will be not only the candidate, but has a strong uh, ability to win the presidency in
3: 2024? Yes, I, I well, I'm not ready to go further than the convention, and I think he <laughs> will, he will, he will step onto that stage in a big sold out arena, chanting his name, uh, full throatedly accept the nomination for a third time of the Republican Party, and 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 uh, once again we'll all write stories and columns that you know it's Trump's party and he's taking yeah. it over. He never lost it, by the way, but we'll write it anyway. And 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 then I think it depends on where the trials are, what happens in the general. But but just for right now, I'm focused on. Uh, I guess July is when they're going to go first this year, the Republicans with their convention. I I don't know what happens after convention night, that the last night of the convention when he'll give the the landmark speech accepting the nomination. I think in the next coming months, the other candidates will fall away. Maybe Nikki Haley is the last. Republican left standing. um, And that that will probably be welcomed by Trump in his camp because it'll give somebody to kind of go back, sharpen his message to the extent he has one other than they're coming after me. So they're going to come after you. I don't know why they would come after a grandmother who's voted Republican her whole life and never broken a law. But, hey, that's Trump's campaign. He's already putting
0: out those emails.
3: Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah,
0: they're they're telling one, me I can't speak. I've got a gag order. It's really they're gagging you.
3: Right. And I just think it depends on what we're hearing in the trials and where they are uh, come next July. But as of right now, yes, this this is the party of Trump. The House Republicans are having an internal squabble about other matters. And this does not mean Trump's losing an iota of of power or influence or anything. I don't think he really cares the Speaker of the House is.
0: Oh, I, I think he does. And I think he's losing control. But Michael, you, you've you got two different sides here. Let's let's ask you where, where you
2: fall. So I don't know exactly what the um, prospects are for Donald Trump as candidate or president. My hope is that uh, he's not the president. I don't care about whether he's the candidate. That's up to those people who like him. But what struck me interesting is what I said A little bit ago which was when jim jordan was publicly being voted for he had nearly 200 votes when they voted for him privately he had 86 votes and so i guess the question is when people go into polling booths do they do something different than what they're telling um pollsters yes or you know we saw that we've saw we saw that in many presidential and and other, I mean, wasn't it the, who was the, who was the first African-American governor of Virginia? Um, oh,
0: uh, I remember him. Um, I, in fact, I introduced him at a, <laughs> uh, i I'll have to get his name.
2: Go ahead. But if I remember correctly in that election, um, they said in the pollster said, would you vote for him? And everyone said, yes, of course, I'd vote for him. The fact that he's an African-American uh, here in Virginia is of no moment. Doug Wilder. Doug Wilder, of no yeah. moment to me. And Wilder was up in the polls by multi numbers of, of points. And then on Election Day, he does, in fact, win, but like by point four or something. And they asked, how did you guys get it so wrong? And the answer was people were lying to the pollsters um, about their true intentions. And so... I wonder whether or not there is a lying to the pollsters about true intentions here too, um, but we won't know that until they start voting. But it's still one of those things that I shake my head and can't figure out why Republicans haven't realized that Donald Trump is a cancer on their party and their governing philosophy, that he stands for nothing but himself, And that if Republicans have a true agenda of small government and deregulation and the the like, this guy is not your guy. He's if you're a working guy who is worried about wages and and inflation and stuff, he's not your guy. I mean, it is, I think, Bill Barr. It was Bill Barr who said, I agree with the agenda, but this guy can never get that agenda accomplished. And I, I just don't. I just don't get it. I guess that's what happens in 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 cults, but th- these people are are voting against their economic and philosophical best interests uh, as they yeah. see them. And, and I know and and I and i and, um, I I just don't get it. I just I, I don't will, get it. I'll close with
0: this. I think you're right. And I think that um the fact that John that they're having this fight in the house it, Donald Trump may not care, but it's it, it's increasingly apparent with the secret ballot and with what's going on in the House to me that they care and that they are now seeing beyond Donnie. And I think at some point that break becomes much more noticeable and much more public. While it's not popular to do it now because Republicans loathe to stand out, but unless it's to be as far to the right as possible. I think at the end of the day, the fact that none of these people, it's not important. You're right. Donnie doesn't care about the House, but the House cares about the House. And the House cares about their political future. And the fact that they're not putting uh, Jordan in or the people that Donald Trump support, Scalise, is an indication that they see a future beyond Donald Trump. And if you see that future beyond Donald Trump, that bodes the end of Donald Trump. So I, I I do not think he's going to be on. I still don't think he's going to be on the ballot. I still think at the end of the day that they that at the end of the day, it's going to be someone else and the Republicans yeah. are going to have to sort that out after the first of the year. And I think it'll also you know, we talked about all the other things in this uh, uh, in this edition about all the things that are going to happen next week. It it a lot of it boils down to who they pick or if they pick a speaker of the House. If the Republican Party continues to disintegrate. I do not see how Donald Trump can can uh, mass the votes that he needs to get where he wants to go.
2: Can I add something to this conversation sure. from a legal standpoint, which is that uh, just this past week, uh, the judge in Colorado again rejected efforts to shut down the lawsuit attempting to block Trump from being on the ballot under the 14th Amendment that says anyone who took an oath to uphold the Constitution is disqualified from holding future office if they were engaged in insurrection or given aid and comfort to insurrectionists. And so he, Trump, a lawsuit was filed to keep Trump off the ballot under this 14th Amendment provision that he engaged in insurrection or gave comfort to insurrectionists. And so far, um, Trump has not been able to get this lawsuit um, Quash yeah. it! Yeah. It is going. It is going forward, um, and there are other lawsuits of this same sort in multiple states. And so, if you get one which succeeds, in in this one in 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 Colorado, um, then maybe there's another tipping point here, which is that he gets held off of the ballot. In, in multiple states now, I don't know, I don't know how this thing plays out. Other than the Supreme Court answers the question, which isn't yet answered, which is what does it mean outside of the context of the Confederacy, which is where it was right. drafted, it was drafted to prevent people who um, the succeeded the from the Union, who became officers of the Confederacy, from coming back to Congress. They said, no, if you've done that, you you can't hold office um, again. So that was pretty clear what it was intended for. Now they're saying it's got broader um, uses. And, you know, so we'll see. The Supreme Court will have to answer the question of what does it mean to engage in insurrection or give aid and comfort to insurrectionists. But if he's held off state ballots, uh, I suppose he could be written in I suppose that you know you could have a write-in campaign for right. him in in states where he was held off the ballot, um, but that could be another thing to keep an eye on, uh, in, in in an effort to answer this question of where will Donald Trump be you know six months from now as 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 a candidate.
0: And John, I'll let you have the final word,
3: and that'll be it for today. <laughs> you got anything, Dad? Yeah, that, I, I was going to add that um just you know I, Brian you and I I disagree we disagree on on this house thing because you know that's we're not hearing and we're not hearing that publicly and I understand that that it could be a um a sentiment that's being talked about in the room or privately among republicans uh, but this is you know this is a fight over I disagreed with Steve Scalise on the CR so he can never be speaker or you know, Jim's never passed a bill of his own, and I think he's overreached on some of these investigations. Yeah, all can't that's be true. Yeah. All that's
0: true. And Matt Gates, you know, is pissed off at McCarthy because he's still got an ethics investigation ongoing. I get all that.
3: Yeah, but to Michael's point, that, that lawsuit about uh Trump not being able not being eligible, um, you know, that's that's definitely one to watch. But um, you know, I I don't think that. Yeah, I th- I thought it was te- if if Trump cared about who the speaker was going to be, you know, he didn't have to sit in that courtroom last week. He well, I think
0: have, he sat in that courtroom in New York last week because he's trying to protect his financial is- interests. Whereas, yes. that's all yes. the reason why he's yeah. there. That's more important but, to him than anything
3: else. But you know, New York's not that far from D.C. and and I heard he does own his own jet, so he could have. There's a rumor. He, he he could have left the courtroom and been here um dinner hour one night to meet with house republicans and and tell them to to get their house in order and 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 push them in one direction. He didn't do that. Um no now he, he still may do that and he is the leader of the party and, and if he is the leader of the party and he does care about you know getting them out of this morass that they've dug for themselves, then he'll do just that. He'll come to DC and and he'll he'll try to broker a solution. You know he keeps telling us he's this great deal maker. Well, here's his own people that need a deal maker. So if not now, don win.
0: Yeah, and that's my point. At the end of and the minute,
3: other and one other thing, I will add. At what point? Because the White House, you know, they they've told all of us repeatedly. I talked to Senate Democrats this week who said the president has no role here. Republicans have to pass. Republican. I disagree. But I do, too. And at what point does does Biden call some of these folks and probably Mitch McConnell and John Thune and and Barrasso and Corden get the senators involved here and and no guys that he's known forever and served with in the Senate and get them together with some of the the House Republicans in a room at the White House and say, we have to fix this. Because
0: at the end of the day, it's not just it's about everything else going on in the world. And he, I
3: wonder, yeah, I wonder if the White House will change that strategy the closer we get to the government shutdown de- uh, threat. And with that thought, and I agree. Well, that will that'll be
0: the end of it for this week, Michael. I uh, go ahead uh, plug what you got, brother.
2: So the podcast is called That Said with Michael Zeldin, and we great episode authors, this week. We talked to great authors about different topics. This past week, with Heather Hendershot, a professor of media. Studies at um, MIT and now visiting at Northwestern on the days that she believes the party, uh, uh, the notion of a a liberal media took hold in 1968. And um, next week, we're talking about the refusal of universities to allow Jewish and other refugee academic scholars into the United States during the World War II period, uh, complete, that is fascinating. a complete disaster uh, spearheaded by the State Department.
3: John. I'm going to plug my uh, CQ Roll Call colleagues who are on our team covering all of this speaker mayhem. <laughs> uh, you can follow along their work at uh, rollcall.com. Uh, they're working long hours. Those hallways are unforgiving that they're running up and down talking to House Republicans. So check out that rollcall.com.
0: And the name of this podcast is Just Ask the Question. The name of the book is called Free the Press. And you can catch me uh, every Thursday in salon.com, wherever fine internet salon.com are sold. So once again, thanks for joining us. Fascinating conversation. We'll be back next week with more. This is Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us. And we will catch you next time.